Well, good morning again. Glad you guys are here, whether you're uh, in the room or online. Uh, man, it's, it's good to be here. I just want to say thanks to the leadership team for inviting us back. Great to be at Westridge. So, uh, it was uh, March of 2020. I was sitting at my dining room table and sort of one of those head in your hands sort of moment when I'm thinking, what just happened to our world? And I also was thinking, how am I going to manage this work from home thing for the next four weeks? And the reason I say four weeks is because I knew in my mind that by Easter, the curve would be flattened, we would be back in the office, life would be back to normal. I I just knew it. Well, at Easter time, still sitting at my dining room table, I became a little bit more realistic, and I realized now it was really going to be the time that school was out, so the end of May, things would be back to normal. So when school was out, I became much more realistic, and I realized that probably my perspective had been a little skewed, and I realized that it was going to be when school started that when school launched, everything else would launch and the world would be back to normal. So when school started, and I was still uh, working from home, I realized that it was going to be the end of the year because very important people on television had told me that 2021 was going to be completely different, a renaissance year. Like everything would be open, we would forget all about the pandemic. So I don't know if your thinking was anything like mine, But I have to tell you, there was a deep-seated kind of hopelessness that kind of began to set in. And it was because of months and months and months of telling myself, just this much longer and it's all going to be over. There was truly a fast fading of all hope. When I think of the word hope, There's a line that comes to mind for me, and I wish it was something spiritual and from the Bible, but it's not. I see Jim Carrey's face, and I see him saying this line, so you're telling me there's a chance. I can't vouch a lot for the theology of that movie, but I can tell you this. It does give you a picture of hope, that there's something that we can actually look forward to. That's kind of the gist of this reboot series is We're looking at what it is that we do, the things that we can choose that are within the realm of our power and possibility to choose that allows us to rebuild and to restructure and to restart our life. So this today is rebooting your hope. And there are moments, there are times in our life when it, it probably feels like life is just hanging by a thread. And when that's the case, that thread is what we call hope. And I'm saying there's a chance. So hope is something that's unique because hope needs something. Hope needs a horizon. It needs a place out there in the future where we can anticipate and long for It's something that we really want to look forward to and not just wish for, something that gives us confidence that it's actually going to happen. That hasn't always been the case. Just for perspective, most ancient civilizations, which 
when it includes most of the world and most of our time, they didn't have this perspective that there was anything other than just this cycle of there's a good time and then there's some bad time. So Plato, the philosopher, calls this the age of dark, dark and the age of gold. And he essentially, it was just this cycle that said, you know, for a while things are going to go pretty well and then they're not. And then things are going to go pretty well and then they're not. It's kind of hard to imagine, really, that that is a worldview or the way that people would see the world. There's truly a kind of head-in-your-hands hopelessness there when you think that there's not the direction and the purpose and the meaning to life other than things will be good, then they won't. Things will be good, and then they won't. So what God's story brings to us as people is there's, there's a linear path that we are headed somewhere, that there's something out there. God places that hope out there, and he tells us that we individually and we as a people and we as all of the universe are headed towards something that he has planned. There's a hope and a future for us. There's something linear there that things are going somewhere. Hope has a history and hope has a future. So the thing that allows hope to be something that we can look forward to is we have confidence from what we've known in the past that there's a reason to believe that what we hope for is actually going to happen. I want to look at a story with you today of an encounter that Jesus has with this woman, and he brings a life-changing experience in this encounter. So if, if you have one of your devices or you want to follow along, we're in Luke chapter uh, 7, beginning in verse 11. And I just want to read through this story to give you the perspective of what actually happens in this encounter with Jesus. So soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. So one thing that's clear from this story is you see that there are literally two large crowds who are meeting at the intersection of this small town. So the first crowd is Jesus and his disciples and many, many other people who have chosen to follow him because they've seen something magnetic in this rabbi, this teacher, this leader, and they want to be with him because he teaches like no one they've ever heard before. And he, 
he has obviously and clearly God's power because he does things they've never seen before and they're convinced that anyone who does these things has the power of God. So these people are following him wherever he goes. This is in the moment when Jesus is extremely popular. And so when they say a large crowd, I don't know if that's tens or, or hundreds, but large is a lot of people. And these, this group is coming toward this small little town called Nain. And you know that there is something different about this crowd compared to the crowd we'll talk about in just a second because this crowd is full of anticipation and excitement. They're looking forward to something with great expectation. And the reason is, is because they've actually just witnessed Jesus performing a miracle. They've seen someone who was about to die be healed. So as this crowd is coming They are coming with life and expectancy. And they're coming to this little bitty town called Nain. Probably the only time I think in the Bible that it's even mentioned. And this town, it's when we say small town, we mean literally small, small town. I mean, maybe a hundred people or more. When I was reading this story, I was I was thinking of when we just, we just buried my mom a couple of weeks ago, and she was born in Gravity, Iowa. It's just literally, one guy said, you know, you put all four city limit signs on the same post kind of a town. I mean, it is like minuscule, you know what I mean? So this is a small town, and when Jesus is coming in, there is another sort of parade of people who are coming out. And this parade of people coming out is a completely different kind of crowd. This is a crowd that does not have life and expectancy as a part of their spirit, but this is a funeral procession. And it says that there was a large crowd coming out with this widow as she was leaving. And you have to believe that this is one of those moments where living in a small town where everybody knows everybody and everybody's business, it probably paid off because a large crowd coming from Nain would probably mean almost everyone in town was coming along to support her and to mourn and to grieve with her. And as this crowd is coming out, clearly a very different perspective, and we see this encounter when Jesus does something miraculous in the life of this woman. So if you look in verse 12, there are three words in the text that have significant meaning that probably are not just obvious from reading, but there's a cultural significance to these three words that change the story dramatically from our perspective today. If you look in in verse 12, it says, there was a a widow and this was her only son. So widow's only son tells a lot about what's happening in this moment. The fact that she's a widow is pretty self-explanatory to us because we know she's lost her husband. But in that culture and in that day, it meant much, much more than just her husband had died. So if you were a woman, you typically did not own property. 
I'm sure there were exceptions, but typically you didn't own property. So whatever it is that they owned as a family was transferred from her husband to a male descendant or a male relative. So when her husband died, she essentially lost all of her property. The other thing is that by being a widow and specifically a woman, she is not allowed, I guess, by culture to really have a career or to work. It was unusual that a woman would have a career. So she's essentially lost all form of income. So it actually gets worse because that's just the widow part. And now when you look at the only son, the only son is the one that the property would have transferred to. It would have become his. And he's the one who would have worked to support her and to take care of her. He would have been the provider and the protector. But in actuality now, he's gone. And maybe the best way for us to really grasp the cultural part or the meaning of what it is, the significance of this, is to say that this son that has died represented her insurance, her Social Security, her 401K, her investment, everything that she had that she could count on or depend on was essentially wrapped up in him. And he's the one whose funeral is being had. Many widows who were in this specific sort of scenario would end up in a very hopeless case because of the fact that One, they didn't get to work and own property and take care of themselves. And so they ended up many times turning to things like selling themselves into slavery just to take care of themselves or into prostitution. So in other words, there's probably not a more hopeless kind of existence than what this woman is experiencing right now in the funeral of her only son. So the encounter with Jesus is that Jesus sees these people, this woman, and he says, don't cry. And he goes over to the coffin and he touches the coffin. And he says to this son of hers, get up. I'm not sure we can even really imagine what it would be like. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine losing a child. Some of us I've probably experienced that, and maybe that's a little bit too real. But to think that you are are on this parade, this procession of a funeral, and that Jesus can actually stop and raise this son back to life is something that I think has to be indescribable. There's probably no way to describe what that woman felt like and what that experience must have been like. I like in that verse, it says, Jesus gave him back to his mother. I like that phrase. Because as unbelievable as it might be to think of someone losing a child and actually having Jesus raise them from the dead, to think of how that would be completely life-changing, it was so much more because when Jesus gave this son back to his mother... He gave this woman so much more than just the life of her son. She would now have her property and 
an income and a way to support herself and to take care of herself because that son was now back alive. In other words, she does not just have a son back, but she has hope. There's a line in God's story. And in this line of God's story, it's significant because this is what creates that linear kind of worldview that allows people to believe that there's something that's coming. See, in this story, in this little city called Nain, it was kind of on the side of a mountain, and just around on the opposite side of the mountain, there was a little city called Shunem, and 800 years before, there was a prophet of God named Elisha who had encountered a widow with an only son who had died, and Elisha had raised this son from the dead. And you can trust me because this was a Jewish community. Everyone knew that story of the prophet Elisha, even though it was 800 years into the past. And I don't know if they made the connection that here's a widow on the same mountain in the same kind of small town that is healed, which is the reason they say this is a prophet, a mighty prophet that has come to us. I don't know how much they made that connection, but I'm sure there was because it wasn't just the fact that 800 years before there was Elisha and a widow and an only son. And now here's Jesus with a widow and an only son and both of them being resurrected. There's another part of the line that looks forward. And that is that whole idea of an only son and a resurrection. You're probably getting the picture very clearly that this is pointing the way to something significant that matters for us. Both of these things that we hear about, the story of Elisha, the story of this widow's son, are pointing us somewhere. And I want to just get really practical for a few minutes with you about this idea of what hope really is. That holding something out there in the future that you can hold on to and believe in. You see, for me, I think so many times I miss out on the hope of Jesus, and here's why. One is because I feel like in the most challenging times in my life, My first thought is not necessarily to put my hope in Jesus. My first thought is to put my hope in me. I feel like I I can handle this. I've got this. Part of the way that many of us were raised, that you're responsible and that you work hard and you certainly don't ask for help when you don't need it. And somehow that kind of works against us to put us in a place where we think we can manage life on our own. So one of the biggest obstacles to me is me. Another obstacle is this, is when I do think of it, I want to put my hope in Jesus, but to be honest, many times I'm putting my wish in Jesus because I want him to do for me what I want done. And I get things backwards to where I'm counting on Jesus to do things that he's never promised that he's going to do. That's one of the things about this particular story. When Jesus comes and he heals this boy, that there's a little bit of danger to that because it it might, it might just lead us to believe that when things get really difficult, 
that Jesus is going to swoop in or God's going to come down and miraculously make everything all right. That if we just put our hope in him or our wish in him, that somehow he's going to do what we want done. But the reality is, I want you to know that is not the promise that God gives to us. He does not promise that he's going to swoop in and make everything all right when they aren't. There's a a promise in the Bible that we hear again and again and again, and it is this. More than any other, the promise is God saying, I will be with you. Not that I'm going to make everything like you want, but I will be with you. So here's my challenge for you today. I want you to think of verbalizing that idea that you're going to put your hope in Jesus. I'm tempted to just have us all say it right now, but more importantly, I'm going to challenge you through this week. As you get up and as you're thinking about what you're facing that day, when you're thinking about maybe the financial stress that you have and you're thinking, how in the world are we ever going to make this? That you will literally say, Jesus, I'm, I'm putting my hope in you. I know no matter what it is I'm going through, you're going to be with me. And maybe it's something going on with your health or the health of someone that you know and love. And you can actually say, Jesus, I'm putting my hope in you. And most likely, my guess is it might actually be a people thing, a relationship thing. And whether it's someone at work or someone you married, someone that you gave birth to, many times there are these challenges that lead us to think, I just don't know how I'm going to go through this and make it. And those are the times when we're called to say, Jesus, I'm literally putting my hope in you. So whatever it is, whatever it is that is the stress or the stuff that you're facing, I want to challenge you this week as you, as you start your day to literally verbalize, say out loud, Jesus, I'm going to put my hope in you. There's a verse that I think sort of summarizes some of what is the answer maybe to some of the disappointment that comes with the hope that we put out for ourselves. Because many times that hope is dashed over and over and over again. And we do feel a kind of hopelessness and a disappointment that leaves us wondering, is there any real hope? This is from Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 23. Here's what it says. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. 